Hello everyone, welcome to Overcome Podcast. Uh, and today with me I have Armon Adibi, which is a top contest prep coach, dietitian, NPC judge, former NPC competitor with a lot of uh, titles on his belt. Uh, and since 2016, Armon actually started his own line of bodybuilding supplements called Adibi Army. So without further ado, Armon Adibi, thank you very much for joining. Uh, how are you? Good, my friend. Pretty good. Thanks for joining today. Uh, Amon, I actually invited you because I was uh, looking to some of your updates and uh, you look incredible, by the way, uh, based on your last uh, update. But uh, I didn't realize that you've been going through so many injuries over and over uh, throughout the past uh, couple of years, I think, or even more, right? Uh, what, 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 talk, talk a little bit about that journey. Um, so most of my injuries are, are not even from the gym. Uh, I don't even know where to begin right now, right here. I got a black eye. I'm getting over a black eye. <laughs> you know, I'm a TikTok. People saying, did you get beat up? Did you get beat up? I was like, yeah, by my three-year-old son. Like we play fight every night. He hits me like right here. And I just he hit me. I was like, no, I didn't get beat up. My three-year-old son punched me. But, um, I guess my first injury was. I was young. I was born with a hernia, so I always had a hernia, but it developed more when I started working out. And so when I was about 20 years old, that's I, I competed a couple times already. I started competing at 18. It started bothering me. I had it, an umbilical one and an eagle one, and so um, I had to get surgery on those. And so those were my first uh, surgeries. And, uh, and you said, and was, you said that the vast majority were not related to to the gene or workout or anything, really. Yeah. So my umbilical hernia, I was born with. So some people are born with hernias and it closes up. But uh, but the the Negron one was was from lifting. It was from you know deadlifting. I was trying to keep up with my training partner and my best friend. He was twice my size at that time, and that was just from improper breathing and you know, not wearing a belt and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, or it could be from soccer too. A lot of them, you know, cause I was a soccer player too. So a lot of people just, you know, from athletics would get hernias. So, uh, who knows? It's just from athletics, but I had, I had surgery on that. <laughs> that, that wasn't a big deal. That her hernia surgeries aren't really a big deal. I don't know. Um, a lot of people have had them. Uh, they're pretty common in bodybuilding actually. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was my first uh, surgery. But throughout your, I would say, the time that you were competing and you were picking, were you were you pretty healthy at that time? No injuries at all. You know, um, let's see, my first major surgery um, was pretty much. It's kind of like, you know, kind of maybe a blessing in disguise in the body. In, for bodybuilding because I had it um, I'm 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 almost 40 now I'm 39 now when I was 29 my bodybuilding career was pretty much going like that mm -hmm. right yeah and like at the at like the pinnacle I had I injured my shoulder I got in a car wreck I got hit from behind and I grabbed the wheel and it kind of tore it back from that so I had to do a surgery and I tried to find the best surgeon possible which was uh, Texas Rangers surgery since we live, you know, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, and the MRI showed, showed my rotator cuff was torn. Um, uh, 
So I was like, okay, yeah, we'll go in there, we'll fix that, and then your your rehab will probably be about, you know, about four months, and then you'll be back to the gym. So at that time, I just competed at a, at a contest, which um, it's a long story. Some political stuff was involved, and I was supposed to do USA's like four to five months later, and get go from there, and and get my pro card, and and go from there. And back then. Um, like 10, 15, like I would say 15 plus years ago, they gave men about eight pro cards a year, right? Wow, that's it. Okay. Now they give about 800 to 1,000 pro cards out a year. Wow, that's insane. So uh, when you got your pro card, then it was like, you know, pretty much the whole world knew, you know, when you got your, you knew who you were. So it was a big deal then. And then, you know, as soon as you got your pro card, they weren't going to give it to you until you step, until you could, you know, be able to compete as a pro. Because what's the point of getting your pro? Well, now it's different because industry's changed. But yeah. at that point, um, when there was money in the sport still, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, they're not going to give someone their pro card if they're not ready to compete as a pro. Yeah. So if you can't step on that stage to compete as a pro, well, there's no point in getting a pro card. So a lot of complicated stuff went on people just don't know about, like people paying off judges, just all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff people didn't understand. Um, you know, you would, like I was at, at one time, I was with Muscle Tech Nutrition. That was pretty much the biggest company at that time you could be with. And they would actually have sit-down meetings between with you, the company, and part of the IFBB, and they're like, um, you know, you're in the running, obviously, this year. Should we push you through you this year and get a pro card? Or they would kind of leave it open. Or do you want to stay an amateur a few years longer and ride that out? And a lot of people are like, oh, uh, of course I would take my pro card. Who wouldn't? And it was different because, you know, um, you could do better, let's say, like at that time, I was doing better as an amateur and making more money than I would have if I turned pro at that moment because you have more like hype and anticipation behind it. And so, um, and for the brand, it was just very complicated. So it, like, it's, oh, interesting, it's interesting you say that because nowadays it's so different. Uh, nowadays, uh, it feels like People give the impression that they are making a lot of money just because they have a bunch of followers, but not necessarily uh, the number of followers means real money, you know. Doesn't mean anything. I mean, I'm I'm friends with a lot of the guys, the top guys now, and I prep some of them. They don't make any money at all, zero. Um, you know, when I retired, like in 2000, part of the reason because when I was doing it, I was able to make money from it. There were so many different outlets. You had your magazine contract, you had your supplement contract, you had your DVD sales, you had your uh, like private on, um, online shoots. There were so many different avenues to make money. And all of a sudden, like it was, they were all gone. Like, you know, when uh, things advanced, um, like the print died, um, you know, the supplement contracts, started not paying uh, bodybuilders. Like, why well, pay a bodybuilder a few hundred thousand a year for a contract when you can get, 
you know, 20 men's physique and bikini girls to do it for free, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that it's like, I get it as a business and marketing. So that's when that all changed too. So all the big contracts, the, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year contracts, those went away. So you have all these guys, you know, like making them, you know, a living and then overnight, like, boom, uh, time to get another job and, you know, your dream or whatever you call it, want to call it, it's over with. So it was a hard adjustment period for a lot of people. Um, luckily, I, you know, I started prepping people at a very young age. And so I had that to, to fall back on and do. Um, but a lot of people, they just went to just find regular jobs. And a lot of them didn't get an education because they started competing and um, or skill set and that was their whole life yeah. and they made a mistake of not doing that Then and then you know you're not planning like uh, one injury you're done from bodybuilding or whatever like that happened with me my shoulder and so they were just like what do I do now yeah. so a lot of them went from living this great lifestyle like with this mini fame and fitness like everybody knew who you were in the fitness world to just being a nobody. So it was hard for a lot of people to transition. Um, but going back to my surgery, that's when I had my surgery, like at that point where, you know, that was the time where um, I was either going to say for some reason, okay, I'm just going to, if I didn't get the surgery, I, it, I was just going to quit for no reason or going to that next level, I was going to push my body you know, harder with the bodybuilding supplements and all that to make it to the next level, which I didn't really, I, I didn't really want to, but it was just a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, to push that envelope even harder. And so I had to have that surgery. Um, like I said, so he went in there, uh, and then he saw my labrum was torn also. So he didn't fix my labrum. Uh, because, you know, he's used to working on baseball players. Um, you know, when you're playing baseball, you, you, if you repair your labor and your career's over because you can't snap your arm back anymore, it, you know, your, your range of motion's like not as good. As bodybuilders, we don't care, right? Because we don't need, we just need enough range of motion to press. Yes. We don't need to have our arm all the way back there like mm -hmm. a baseball player does. So he didn't repair that. And so after surgery, it was, I wasn't feeling okay. I'm like, so something's not right. I'm not, I did all my PT. So we had to go right back in and do a second surgery on the shoulder. Oh shoot, really? <laughs> yeah, and that put me out of um, body, uh, it put me out of upper body training for two years, exactly. Two years, no training two, at two all. Years. No working out, not a five pound dumbbell curl nothing and that's kind of the time where I started working out um, right before destination was Plano um, Metroflex and then I remember it converted over to destination at around that time and so I just started to work out lightly again there so that was all that was that was pretty rough to be that long out when I knew that it was my time to really go to the next well, level. Well, this is this is really uh, crazy because you were at your peak competing, 
showing up in magazines and everything and suddenly you they're not able to train and and not able to work out for two years did did this actually have a, a lot of effect on your mental health uh, how how did you cope with that um so i mean bodybuilding was you know it was my life but i still you know, enjoy life. I wasn't one of those type of people that would just stay shut in all day and eat, sleep, and train. I had a life, you know, I bring my meals wherever I went. You know, you know how bodybuilding is, you mm -hmm. do it. It's very, it's very extreme. You've got to, you know, everything counts as a full lifestyle and it's, re it's really hard. It's not for everybody to do. Um, and so at first it was just like, you know, this sucks. It, it, it well, I'll be out a few months because excuse me at the time my coach was Hani that's uh, Phil Heath's coach that's Hottie that's Hottie Chupon's coach so he's like you're fine dude because I was devastated he's like you're fine get your shoulder surgery we'll get your pro card then and we'll take off and you know Hani is not the kind of coach to BS around he would even take on clients if, if he didn't think he could make him a top pro so during that time, he's like, we can, I believe we can make you top 10, one of the top 10 in the world. And so I was like, yeah, you know, and so that's what, that's where my mindset was. And so this happened. And at first I was okay. I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break and, you know, I'm going to rehab, get past this. And then we'll get back to where we were. Not a big deal. Um, but then we had to go there a second time. Yes, I started getting extremely depressed. I mean, from going from top competitive bodybuilding to not working out at all was a was a big mental um, yeah. Take a takes a, yeah takes a, a big toll on you because um, I mean it, it's not for everyone to cope with that. So go. All the way from from up to, to bottom, but uh, then then you I, I believe at that time you start finding yourself this uh, this passion for coaching, and it was that time that you start coaching. Well, I mean, so I started competing at 18. The first couple of years I was coaching, but just for just for fun, I was just helping my friends. I was just you know, and then after the couple of years, my friends were like, you you're really good at this. Like I went to school to be for dietitian, but it doesn't teach you about condoms, but they're like, you, you have a niche for this. You really need to do this for a living. Like you gotta. And so that's when I started doing it. But, um, so I was coaching all along. And, um, even before that I was coaching pretty heavily. Um, but not professional or you or you like charging, you're not charging at that point. You're just doing for friends, right? The first two years. So from what my from 18 to 20 years old, I wasn't charging. And then at age 20, I started charging. So by that time, yeah, but I've, I was already coaching pretty heavily um, for nine years. And so when I was making my living from bodybuilding, when you could make a living, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year from contracts, you know, I also kept up with coaching because I get bored easily. I cannot just a lot of people were just satisfied with the money they made and they just, that's all they did mm. and I was like no I want to make more money I get bored I like working so I would always work you know more jobs than that too I'd help my dad out even with our restaurant business we had growing up and so you know yeah it was a it was a rough deal and um, uh, 
but after this after the surgery after the two years rehab and everything then you never went back to stage uh, again right that, that was your retirement that surgery that second surgery right um, no I went back to stage so after the two years um, like I'm even after the second surgery I'm like this this thing is not getting better I don't know what to do I couldn't even press over a, a 40 pound so I was just so I kept going to different surgeons and they're just like they would do re-MRIs and they're like your shoulder's fixed I don't they're like we don't know what's wrong you should be fine and so finally I did some PRP in it um, and it helped so I did my first round of PRP and within I would say a month or so I went from 40 to being able to press a 70 pounder okay then I did PRP again, and then I went from um, 70 to back to my around my normal weight. So then it started finally healing up, and the atrophy that permanently atrophied finally came back. And so I started working out again. But then at this time, um, at this time I was training people full time at Destination. Um, I believe you were there at yeah. that time, yeah, right? Yeah, you were yeah. there, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so at that time it was 2000 and that was 14 probably. 14. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2014. So I was going to plan to eventually get back into it and then um found out my mom my mom was sick. So um she was misdiagnosed. They said stage 1, but she was actually stage 4 breast cancer. So I took off from work and like I was still working at destination. I kept my apartment out here and um but i pretty much kind of moved back in with my mom because i was like i'm gonna spend all the time with her i can before she she passes because obviously stage four you know stage four mm -hmm. so um i was a bodybuilding this time i was just kind of working out lightly and this is kind of when i was still healing you know getting back into working out my shoulder was still healing so it, it heals all up and you know my mom you know she passes away which was uh was really hard because she was young she was 58 and yeah it came out of nowhere my my dad just retired they were about to start traveling the world like that you know people want to when they retire and then she passes away so it was uh it was a really rough time for all of us and so i got back into bodybuilding that year just to keep my mind busy and i was like i don't have any expectations at all I just want to, because at that time, I knew the money already left, right? Mm -hmm. The magazines left, the magazines were dead, the big uh, supplement contracts were done. So I was just like, I'm just gonna do it just for me, just to keep my head busy because my head's not okay. Um, and uh, for my mom's passing, and uh, I'm gonna do that. And then right after my mom's passing, my best friend at the time, Chris Jalali, he passed away. So Jeez. it was like, you know, boom, boom. And so uh, a lot of people remember his name. He was um, in a lot of magazines. He was on a lot of covers. He was a bodybuilder too. He had an oxycodone overdose because he had jaw surgery and he took too much and overdosed on that and passed away. And so that was a tough deal. So I was like, I just, and you know how bodybuilding kind of, um, if you're angry and mad or sad or, you know, depression, 
you could put that all into bodybuilding and that takes you know a lot of uh, for a lot of people that takes you know a lot of that away mm-hmm. to give them something yep. to do so I got back into it that year and I was surprised um, how fast my body came back I was a, I was a lot bigger than I was in that two years my muscle came back and then I had this new extra size and thickness I just I I think that was just due to um, aging like muscle maturity you know going from age you know 29 to 31 just each one of those years that's an important time in bodybuilding where you mature, your muscles mature a lot so I had a thicker look and I was a lot bigger so I competed three times that year and um, excuse me the first show I did was Chad Nichols' show, and it was Peak Muscle Fest, because Chad Nichols' mom, that was Ronnie Coleman's coach, if people don't know who Chad Nichols mm-hmm, is, yep. and he, he's big Rami's coach, too. Um, he put on a show, it's called Peak Muscle Fest, and uh, his mom passed from cancer, too, breast cancer, so all the proceeds went to cancer. So I was like, I'll diet six weeks and do that one. So I, you know, I didn't, I haven't done anything in two years. I mean... I took, I didn't take any special supplements for two years. I wasn't training at all, and I just started training. I was probably three months into working out, and then I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll shoot to do his show, and it was like in six weeks. And so- That's incredible. So you you were out for two years, and you prep in six weeks? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) And so the before and after pictures are pretty crazy, but all my friends know my body, I could lose weight really quick, size, and I can pack it on really, really fast. So I did that one. I should have won, but I got second. His buddy got got the winning. And then the second show I did was a, a California show called The Titan. And it used to be John Lindsay shows, and then it, and then uh, Tamar L. Gundy took over. Um, and a lot of these names might be just people like who are these people anyway they're just people that were promoters and had the shows and all that so used to the setup did you ever do a la show out there no only texas and oklahoma okay i never yeah so um sorry my throat's so sore um so during that time it was it was like at a high school and it was um they had big shows there. I mean, uh, Miss, uh, uh, Mr. L.A., which was a big name to have back in the day and all that. The, the back pump-up room was a really small little room, and they had a door open in the back, and that would go outside, okay? This is in California. So I used to do – I did the Mr. L.A. twice when I was younger and used to – this just shows how much bodybuilding changed a lot because I did the Mr. L.A. in 2000 and – um, nine, I think, and then just from 2009 to 2014. So backstage, you'd be back there, and there would be guys outside just handing you business cards. Hey, if you want to shoot with me, you want to shoot with me. Some of them were legit, some of them were not <laughs> legit, and some of them were, you know, a little weird. But if you wanted yeah. to make some money, you could, you know. I remember going to this guy's house for a photo shooting. He had a couple weights in his garage, and I'm like, oh, so this is like a, just like a personal video. <laughs> <laughs> but it was paying well. I mean, a few thousand dollars. So, I mean, you could go to California and compete 
and get a stack of those cards and you would have more work to do than you would know what to do with. So I'd usually stay about two to three weeks in Sherman Oaks. We had like a model's house out there that all the, um, for this one company, all the models were allowed to stay there for free. It was awesome while we were in town and there was nobody back there. And I'm just like, what's going on? I'm like, uh, I expect at least people to still be going to those, um, you know, and I'm just like shocked how much it changed. I'm like, there's literally no money at all to be made in this anymore. Because used to, I would go out there and I would stay for two weeks and literally do photo shoots for two weeks. I would do Muscle Mag, I would do Iron Man, all the big names, I would shoot for them. And then I would do the private sites, whatever, Muscle Gallery, Jimmy Z, all that. And, you know, just doing shoots, you could come back home and buy a brand new car for, oh, yeah. you know, packing. It's a lot of work with the with the shoots, but, uh, and then it went from that to nothing. And I was like, this, I was, it was pretty disappointing how much uh, everything changed in such a short period of time. It was like overnight. And that, that was your last competition? No, I did nationals that year. Also, that's when they did the, uh, they were doing the um, road to the nationals up a destination. You know, Nick, uh, mm -hmm. the videographer. And it was, they were following me, Joe Mackey and Ambrose. Um, the lifestyle video. Remember MD? They always always used to do the lifestyle. Yeah, videos. yeah, I remember that. I remember. So I was the only athlete that year they were doing it on. So um, you know, and then Lee Thompson that year. So I was supposed to, you know, you get the certain nods, you know, for everything to go in there and uh, do well. So I was supposed to go in there as a heavyweight and uh, win the heavyweight class, and still it was just. It was still just going to be an accomplishment of mine, like get my pro card and then just kind of retire. And then my weight was not going down. I just, I added that much new muscle tissue and it just would not, like heavyweights under 225 on stage. And you were shredded, right? So it was not a matter of not losing the fat or anything. It's just not going down. Yeah, I mean, it was just sheer thickness. My friends in person, they're like, dude, I don't understand. You would you were out for two years and you came back and you put on such size and thickness and my weight was, was not budging around like 250. And there, I was like, there's no way I can make 225. I mean, I've been able to make some crazy weight cuts before, like, you know, 15 pounds in a couple days, but it was, it was water weight. You know, it, there was no water weight here. So, um, I was like, I'll just roll, roll with it and go into super heavyweight and, when they when they follow you going into a show for the winner or whatever and i told lee that year which was a chairman at that time i was like dude i didn't make weight i was like i'm over he's like gosh man so i already knew i wasn't gonna get my pro card in super heavyweights um did i look better than most of the guys yeah but you know you're going against a different size uh, a, a caliber of guys i think i got like eight seventh or eighth place at it or something the guys were just way bigger not way bigger it's just uh you know they they did their kind of like at that time still it was kind of like the super heavyweights that were predicted to win that year like going in those mm -hmm. were the guys they were had in the in the top i was supposed to be in the top with the heavies and then i was nowhere to be found in the heavies so 
I spilled over. I didn't spill over, but I made it over to the to the supers, and you know, for some reason, they, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't do as well there, whatever. So when you when you look back, do you believe that you could have done anything different to have made that weight? No, it's just it was just new. It was just new mature muscle that was on my body that. And you know when I when I started back again too, I wasn't able to take the same amount of, which I never got crazy with the gear, anyways. But being out for that long and coming back, I wasn't even able to take that much because my body wasn't used to it. So I was taking it probably you know one third or half of what I took it taken before. So it was just new that new you know mature muscle. Uh, so no, there was nothing to do. Um, and if I would have burned it off somehow, my physique would have looked weird. Because it's funny how, as you're, you know, as you're aging, you, I used to compete at middleweight, I mean, uh, light heavyweight, and look amazing on stage, and then heavyweight, then super heavyweight. But if you try to like kind of go backwards, your body looks bad. It doesn't have a good look to it when you're yeah. trying to burn muscle off. And so that was my last. That was my last uh, show competing. I did another little state show after that uh, in 2017. That was just out of the blue. I had to do a a uh, um, a little video shoot for my supplement line, and I died in three weeks. And there was the Johnny Jackson that weekend. <laughs> three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks prep. That's crazy. Only you to do that. <laughs> so the Johnny Jackson was that weekend. I was like, I'll just do it for fun, just to show people like. You know, you could win, and you know, and I went and I I won the super heavyweight class there. But <laughs> but you know, it it wasn't a, it was not my level. You know, it was a lot yeah yeah beginner level. You know, um, so but I just did that for fun. But after that year, I knew I was done, and there was no point. And then all my friends and um, competitors that I was bodybuilding around that time, they pretty much all kind of retired to. A few of them did go, you know, keep continue to go. Um, I still prep one of them. He's a pro. Um, but, you know, most people realized, hey, like this sucks not making money. Like yeah. most of the yeah. bodybuilders, we didn't have careers where we could support ourselves to bodybuild. So, yeah, I. So, so your, your triceps rupture came after that. Uh, that return to bodybuilding, it was, uh, how, how did it go? Because I remember you also torn your your triceps uh, not too long ago, right? Yeah. Um, so, 2015, I had um, a lot of bad sinus issues. I mean, when I get sick, or sorry, it's like to the extreme always. So, I had to have a sinus surgery because I was like sick for a year and no doctors they just kept prescribing antibiotics and then i finally went to ear nose and throat she's like let's do a ct she did a ct and she and we, we went back in she goes armand she's like i haven't seen any sinuses this bad in 10 years she's like i don't even know how you can breathe like i can't i can't breathe out of my nose and all pretty much everything here was just polyps uh infection and then my canals were like almost closed completely like the before and after picture of the of the CT was amazing. She's like, I, you know, I would do this surgery ASAP and, you know, fix your DBA septum too. 
she's like, it's going to be a pretty painful surgery because you have so much in there. We have to just scrape out. And, you know, so I did that. And um, you weren't allowed to lift anything over five pounds for the first, uh, I believe, month. And my daughter was about a year old at that time. And so I couldn't even lift her. Um, and my face, I remember, swelled up like this big just from the surgery. And then um, it was like five weeks post-surgery. I could start working out again. I didn't. I was in a rush that day. I just got home. I was about to bathe my daughter. I was hot, sweaty. My nose starts bleeding. And it wasn't like a normal bloody nose. It was like a faucet. It was like just, oh, wow. it was just like a faucet. Yeah. So I text the girl I was with at the time, dating, whatever you want to call it, that I had my child with. Um, I was like, hey, I need to go to the hospital. I have a bad nose. But she goes, okay, I'll be home a little bit from shopping. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, it, like it's not a normal nosebleed. This is bad. So I got to the ER, and they were they had like blank, like literally big towels of, because it was like a faucet. So they had to call my surgeon. They had to do emergency surgery because, and then I had to get a blood transfusion too, because it was so much blood I lost during that. Wow. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, we're supposed to go vacation during that time. So it's just every to the extreme. But yeah, my, and so from all those infections, they had me on antibiotics and cortisone steroids for about eight months straight, okay? And um, a lot of those antibiotics, they weaken your tendons uh, dramatically. Mm. Um, certain ones like Cipro and Leviquin are known to cause tendon tears. That's a side effect. So when you're taking those, they tell you, especially Leviquin, they tell you, don't work out. Like, you know, Achilles tendon tears, are really common and just you know tendon tears so my tricep you know was not even from the gym um you know but i, I yeah yeah I but, but, my, but that, I, did you do a specific movement that you immediately felt that you ruptured yeah like an, yeah. What, what did you so, what did you do what no what what it was it was not on the gym it was you were just moving things around no, so I was I was laying on the bed. So I was sitting on the bed. It was kind of hard to explain. So I was on my knees, like with my hands spread out like this way. I was usually kind of stretched that way. And they weren't like that. They were like this out that way. And I had all my weight like locked out on my arms. And, um, oh, this is not a fun story. But so the ch the girl I was with at the time, we were, not, we were in an argument, whatever. So we were arguing. And she threw my the phone at my face and ran by me and like did like that and my tricep popped in and I had all my weight on it so it I mean it went in this way wow that's so bizarre I, so I I fell on the ground in agony like screaming and I had and I went to the I went to the hospital and they gave me a bunch of painkillers and. Um, I knew for tricep surgery at that time I was working like uh, part-time as an OR rep so I knew what surgeon was were good because there's a lot of bad surgeons out there and it's scary to watch some of these surgeons work so I knew I had to get repaired 
in a certain amount of time if I wanted it to heal correctly, right? So, um, was it during, was, was full rupture? Yeah, the rupture. Yeah, full rupture. Full rupture. Yeah. Damn! Wow. Full rupture. Um, and a big part of it was the antibiotics too, and the cortisone steroids that weakened my tendons at that time. Man, it's incredible because you lift heavy. You've done so many exercise triceps. You have a really good triceps, so. And, and you tear in the most ridiculous way at home <laughs> in a completely bizarre movement. Uh, it, that just shows that uh, no one is, is safe. People try to be in, a, in that safe place, not doing things that are risky. But, I mean, it can happen with anyone. Yeah, I mean, most of my bodybuilder friends, when they get injured, it's never in the gym. Like, I had one client. He tore his butt. I've had several clients do it this way. They tore their biceps bowling, right? I guess you're, when you get so muscle bound, you know, you're just, it's just, you tear, you, you're just at a more higher risk to tear muscles and tendons. Do you, do so, you have, uh, based on your knowledge, do you have any supplement that can help prevent that, that we will like strengthen your tendons? Yeah, I mean, you got, of course, growth hormone. Uh, but, you know, there's, when I was competing, there was not MK677, which it used to be a supplement. And then it's not a, it's not a SAR and people confuse that a lot. Um, it's a HGH secretagogue. So basically that when you take growth hormones synthetically, you take your shot and it shoots your growth, growth hormone up like that, like a high pulse. Um, when you take uh, MK677, it makes your natural pulses higher throughout the day for 24 hours. So it does a pretty much the same thing as growth hormone, like taking about two IUs a day. So yes, we were selling a lot of that, but then we had to stop selling it as a supplement. It was illegal to sell as a supplement. And that was, a, that was around the time where you remember peptides were legal. You could just buy peptides off any websites and all that. And then they made, they passed the law to make peptides illegal. Um, and then, uh, but this wasn't a peptide, so I was okay. I just could not sell it anymore as a supplement. I had to sell it as a, you know, research or, mm -hmm. which I hated that because there's so many of those sites that sell that stuff. You know, research not for human consumption. And but they sell is, so is, pep is, pe stuff. is peptide still illegal? Because there is a lot of uh, growth hormone uh, uh, testosterone replacement clinics that they actually prescribe peptides. Yeah. So here's the deal with that. It's it gets very it's very complicated. Um, so you or me could used to buy peptides anytime. We could go on a website, buy them anytime, and you know it was legal. They passed the law. So when the doctors and medical want something, they'll take it and then make it illegal. Um, so they made them illegal. And then what happened, you saw doctors started prescribing these peptides, right? Yep. And, you know, we could used to get, what's a normal peptide everybody knows? Like a GRH, 
or BPC one fifty seven, for example, is really good to to healing. Right, like BPC one five seven. So that's great. So these doctors are prescribing it now for a couple hundred dollars or whatever, and um, you know you technically. Um, do you know who Rick Collins is? No. So he's a he's called the steroid attorney. Um, he's done. Uh, he used to have a column in muscular development. He still does every month. Um, basically, he knows anything and everything all about um, steroids, the legality of it, and that's his specialty. Is you know performance enhancers. So you've had so many big big cases, and if you get in trouble with gear on a big level, you want to hire Rick Collins, like, you know. So <clears throat> we're uh, I'm good friends with him. So I was asking him, I'm like, Rick, dude, like, how are all these doctors are just prescribing peptides now? He goes, Armand, it's, it's actually not legal, but so many of them are doing it. Um, it's like. Are they going to go after people? They could if they wanted to, but doctors legally really aren't supposed to prescribe it. Interesting. And so, yeah, and so a lot of, so, and it's so common because every HRT clinic prescribes yeah, exactly. that. Exactly, yep. It's, but and they not, no, they not only prescribe, but they actually advertise. <laughs> you go to the website, yeah. it is there. They talk about, uh, like, openly. Yeah, it's crazy, and you know the legality of it. It is actually not. If it, you come, if you get, if it gets down to it, federally, it's not legal to do. And you know, is he, he says like, are they going to go after people? Probably not. You know what I mean? But it's like you know, if they wanted to, like for instance. Um, when doctors were already prescribing it, this uh, this certain uh, uh, peptide site, they weren't a doctor's office. They were just still operating as a peptide site. And at that time, you it, you could sell for, you know, not for human consumption and still sell it, whatever. So he, he texted me. He's like, hey, call me when you have a chance later. So <clears throat> this peptide company was sponsoring me. And... Um, this was like 2018, so not too long ago. And, you know, they were giving me all my peptides for free. And they were good peptides. Um, and basically, you know, gave out my coupon code like everybody does mm -hmm. and all that. He calls me and he's like, dude, take that off your profile ASAP. I was like, what's up? What do you, what's, what's the problem? He goes, you could literally get 15 years for conspiracy for promoting these peptides and giving out a code. I'm like, damn, are you, are you serious? He's like, yeah, he goes, these people that are promoting, I'm not talking about from the doctor's office. Right, I'm just right, talking right, about right. from online peptide sites. He's like people that are giving out codes for all these, um, research chems and all that. That's illegal. And that's, that's considered conspiracy. And that's a 15 year, you know, sentence for that. Um, he goes, I'm representing people right now that were just simply doing what you did, um, giving out codes for coupon codes to the and and they federally charged them that with is conspiracy. Absolutely insane. Wow. 
so you got so many people doing stuff out here and they don't even know it's illegal it's like how do, how are we supposed to know this is even illegal yeah. we don't like how do we know yeah yeah um but yeah so when it comes down to it you know, there's not enough research in certain ones and it it's it's a compounding pharmacies that do it obviously you can't go to cbs and you know pick it up there but you know it's they're learning more and more about it um so i don't think it will be an issue but it's just kind of like a weird area right now um and i don't know like there's it's just like the regulation of it because a lot of these compounding pharmacies with these hrt clinics people think they're getting good stuff because it's a, it's a hrt clinic yeah and it's a compounding pharmacy a lot of these compounding pharmacies are faking all the stuff or and they're underdosing it big time yeah that's incredible now uh, switching gears uh here to to your coach uh, i like to ask you something because you coach so many people from professional to amateur and everything and uh and you've done not only contest prep but you've done also transformation and everything what are some of the things that when you start working with a client you immediately have that feeling that you're gonna have a good experience this guy is gonna be great at the end is it the 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 attitude is it the physique or you rather get someone that has really crap physique and transform this person just because this person has the right attitude right so how you how you you know can feel that this guy is actually going to evolve so my philosophies have changed over the years with my thinking towards that i mean i would say between 2000 and 2010 and 2015 i was pretty much really even though i always coached tons of normal people also um I was really driven towards, you know, top bodybuilders. And at that time, let's say I had a client, like before bodybuilding changed a lot. Let's say I had that client, I turned them pro. We have some sort of agreement, whatever, this and this. I turn them pro, I hook them up with people I know for contracts or this or, you know, our supplement contract, you get a percentage of that. And so you can make pretty good money on top of the coaching with getting certain people contracts. And, and I was, and I was still very competitive. So, um, you know, I was kind of living through my clients a lot too, but during this time I was really focused on, uh, the bodybuilders and being the best. And I, you know, I turned tons of people pro when it was hard time to pro, I, I prepped tons of pro people. But as time went on, it got harder and harder for these people to listen. Um, once the industry changed a lot, and you saw it too, I mean, everybody wants to compete, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody, and everybody has their different reasons. And there's, and I, I tell people like, compete as long as you come in your best and you die and suffer, that's fine. If you just go up on stage and not give it your all, like that's not okay. But um, 
it was really hard because people were just not listening as much. And then let's be honest, it's, you could used to tell people like, okay, well, we have a goal. You're going to get your pro card. Then you're going to start making money. Then you're going to do shoots and all this stuff. You didn't have that anymore. So not as a selling point. I was just honest with people. I'm like, listen, like we can go and get pro and all that, but it's not going to change your life at all. Um, you're just going to have a pro card and you're not going to be able to probably compete against these other pros. And then your bodybuilding career is pretty much over with. So I started, you know, taking on a lot more just um, regular, normal, yeah, regular people, right? Regular people. And I always liked, you know, I never had like the genetic freaks really come to me. I would usually get people that never touched weights, um, didn't look good at all and transfer that transfer them to like something amazing i enjoyed doing that uh, whereas a lot of other coaches they like to cherry pick the people with the best genetics exactly um like don't get me wrong hani rambat is a great coach obviously phil heath and all these big names as we know as he coached but hani would not work with anybody that he didn't think he can make like a top professional. Yeah. So like when I was working with them, I was uh, trying to get my friend on with him too, which my friend was a very good bodybuilder. And Hani's like, no, I don't like his structure at all. I'm, uh, I'm not going to work with him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a completely different approach from Dave, Dave Palombo because Dave works with everyone. Everyone. I mean, Greg is... Is Dave who helps you? Uh, no, Dave is helping Greg now, Greg McCoy, yeah. uh, and, and and I've seen uh, Dave working with professionals and every you know person. So it's very, you know, uh, someone that is very uh, easy to 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 talk with. He does, he is, doesn't cherry pick, and I think that as you said, over the years you change your mindset, and now you you have more fulfillment helping regular people. Is that correct? Yeah, you know. Me and Dave were very, very close friends for, you know, 15 years, and he helped me prep for uh, several shows. And kind of what was going on was Dave was prepping me, and then uh, year 2010, like, Dave would always be like, oh, dude, you look like a freak, you look crazy, this. Some, some people complain that Dave sends out too many cookie-cutter programs, but his structure works a lot better than most coaches out there just because you know people want to do all this wacky stuff crazy stuff he 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 wants to keep the person healthy first of all it's not worth like being unhealthy you know um so he's moderate with everything with all the gear and stuff and i got to a point though where i needed somebody to tell me i wasn't good enough i needed that extra harsh coaching because that's what when I was playing soccer at a high level I had a crazy coach and he was very just um, he would just break you down and just then build you up then break you down so he was I don't know what you want to call it like he was not for the weak people he would he was very direct transparent yeah yeah he was a, a hard coach I mean almost borderline mentally abusive sometimes but I needed a lot, a lot more harder coach. So that's when I hired Hani because Hani's never saying, "Oh, you look good. Oh, you this." He's like, D 
dude, what's going on? You don't look good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And that's what I needed myself to go further. So Hani coached me for two years. And then I had that shoulder injury. And then my last year, Dave helped me out again when I knew I wasn't doing it for a, a level. So yeah, Dave's very good. Is He will take pretty much kind of whoever you are in and make sure you're healthy. Health is first. Because we all know the clients out there that, you know, people out there, coaches, that will just, you know, literally um, give people the most dangerous oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. protocols ever. I mean, they just did a, they contacted me four, four months ago, the Washington Post. Um, even though I'm not a fan of the Washington Post, they contacted me and, um, this was before all the IFBB drama stuff that's been yep, going on yep. lately. So they contacted me and they're like, hey, we're running an article on coaches that have basically killed their clients. <laughs> um, like, do you want, I was like, okay, I was like, I love bodybuilding. I, get, I understand there's some unhealthy aspects. I will help out if if I'm promised bodybuilding is not shed in a just completely unhealthy way. Yeah. I was like that there's good and bad. She's like, yes. So we spoke one day for about two and a half hours. And we talked about certain coaches that have killed people in the industry. And we all know the names and all that. And then um, we were supposed to talk another time. And then I was talking to a couple of my close friends like Dave and all that. They're like, just, stay away from it so I didn't take the last phone call and I was like I'm just not going to be involved and then I, I got a text uh, a month and a half ago or so that she's like sent me the article was like hey congratulations uh, or hey thank you for all your help the article's out and everything I'm like oh shit is my name in this and like about because I never gave the person permission and then you know, just weeks before this, they let out all the sex scandal stuff with the with I, the IFBB yep. and the Mannions and all that. And you know, the Mannions that's their deal. They they can't control what all these promoters are doing and all these other people. Because uh, you know, when I was competing, I I experienced that. I had judges that would contact me before shows and solicit sexual favors for placings. That stuff went on. I mean, there was gay judges, and they did that, and then the women dealt with, you know, all of the sexual stuff, too. It's not like they're holding a gun to the person's head, but if you're put in a situation, like let's say a woman's doing a photo shoot, da-da-da-da-da, and the male photographer's like, hey, it would look good if you do this. And so they're putting a girl in a situation. I get both sides. And like, this is this girl's passion to turn pro. And they're put in a situation. They're like, well, if I say no, I know I'm never going to turn pro. But if I do it, like it's like it gets my morals. But so they put a lot of people in those type of situations, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about promoters, photographers, and, and that just went on a lot, unfortunately. You know, um, we had one of our own promoters here that did it a lot. So he even admitted to it afterwards, after he separ separated himself from the IFBB, 
all the you know corrupt stuff that went on which people don't know so uh that article went out and that one went out and then there it's like now they're trying to take down the ifbb with all these different um articles with the you know with the whole deal but no on that tangent no uh i'm all if you if you could give an advice for someone that is trying to find a coach to help them uh, to get better and, and perhaps even do their first competition, what would you advise them to look at when it comes to selecting a good coach? Is it the reputation of the coach? Is it the pricing? Because pro coaching price varies from 300 to five thousand dollars why we know that it, it varies a lot so what are some of the the things that people should look at when they try to find a coach i mean that's probably the most difficult thing for people because it's different from people that's been in the industry than new people coming in like people coming in they don't know who's who exactly yep you go on instagram everybody's a coach <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like where do, what do you do um so <clears throat> with my with my coaching i've had i've done it successfully for about 18 years now you know it's you know real successful at it and that's been my living and um so i built up a reputation and when they're looking for a coach it's gosh it's so hard because Like myself, for instance, like I got to a certain point where so many people compete now and so many people want to compete. It's it's not them wanting to compete. They want to do it for all the other reasons, for the pictures on social media, for, hey, I'm doing a competition, for the attention. And so, you know, some it goes both ways because when someone comes to hire me for coaching if it's for lifestyle that's perfectly fine but if it's for bodybuilding and competing I don't take just any client on at all because you know some clients are you know some a lot of clients will just not listen like most clients now have a really hard time listening and you can't say hey strain your act up we're going for a pro card don't you want to you know put you know make a living for your family and put food on the table because it's not that way anymore it's an expensive hobby so when people say hey i can't afford this i can't afford that i understand that now where before it was different you make sacrifices to get there um so i'm not a i'm not a, like personally i'm not a fit for everybody um i'm really hard on my clients. I want them to win. Uh, we don't go to a show just to get up on stage. You know, um, I've been told before, even by people like, man, your way of coaching is really hard, but it produces winners. And I'm like, that's the only way I know how to do it. Um, so I'm not a fit for everybody because a lot of people, they just want to compete. They want to like look good enough to get on stage and, and do all that. And if that's a coach you're looking for, I'm not going to be your match because I'm going to make sure you're going to be in the best place possible to win, you know, or to at least go to win or be your possible best. 
And you've got all these coaches, other coaches out here. Let's be real. You know, a lot of people get into coaching, you know, for just all different reasons. A lot of coaches have no clue what they're doing. I mean, at one point <laughs> at destination, I was coaching probably about seven of the trainers and coaches. And they were all, you know, they started coaching people. Like they would literally, I would get them wins and they started, they, they would become a coach just like that. Yeah. Not knowing even basic nutrition. So you gotta be careful because a lot of these people, they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, it's hard to tell who to pick and that that's a big problem because then let's say that let's say you hire some coach, they have a good game, they spit spit a good game, you hire them, you look up to them, you think they're, you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes down to coaching, you realize like uh, this isn't something's not right here. Yeah. Then after that point, you're going to have trust issues with every single coach you hire. True, true. Yep. And so that's that's the problem today is that the competitors have such a hard time trusting the coaches. And me as a coach, we have such a hard time during the screening process. Is this person not just going to be a good client, but are they going to be, you know, because there's a lot of crazy people in this industry. Yeah, and, they... and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you probably have you have to you have to triage your clients as well because, as you said, you may not be a good fit, and they whoever is applying may not be a good fit for you. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the truth. I mean, I'll go a little further into it too. It's such a you know, it's not like you have to have a degree to coach people. And the people you're dealing with, it gets, there's a, so much drama sometimes. At one point, I took a couple years, I mean, a year off from coaching. I still kept coaching my normal people, but I would have, you know, boyfriends call me and they're like, why are you, why are you and my uh, girlfriend texting? I'm like, who is this? The middle of the night, I'm like, who is this? They're like, I'm like, I'm their coach. What, like, why are you, why are you calling me? Like, so you got girls not even telling their boyfriends they have coaches. I Dude, I've dealt with the most incredible, craziest stories ever. So, you, yeah. reputation, you got your coaches out there that have your names. Like, you know, everybody knows, you know, certain coaches. But I just tell people it's, it, it's trial and error. You want to go by transformations. Make sure that coach has pictures where you can look at a client's transformation, like, hey, they looked not good, and then they looked amazing. So proof is in the pudding. You want a coach that has, that you that can provide all these transformation pictures. If they don't have that, don't hire them. Because as a coach, you know, if you're proud of your clients, you're gonna post pictures here and there. Yeah. You're gonna have a lot of pictures. I'll be honest, I have so many pictures I don't even have of my clients that did well, but I do have a large portion. I have hundreds of pictures. I can show people some and said like, yeah, you know, but so if you got a coach that does not have anybody they can show you before and after a, like a decent amount, don't hire them. Um, if, if they're overly aggressive, like, like their cars, like a used car salesman, they're trying to like get, get that sell avoid that because a good coach is not hurting for business and 
you know, um, like my coaching people come and, pro and then they approach me. I'm not going after people. I might see people at certain places where like, yeah, like I think I could help you, you know, get to a certain place. Like uh, you remember Kyle Moore from our gym, yep, right? Yep. Like he was going through this phase where he had uh, one person coaching, then another person, another person, and all the people that coached him, they were coaches and he just couldn't get it. And I went up to him, I said, hey dude, I don't know you. You can get your pro card easily. That's six weeks to the USA's. Let me prep you for it. And you're just wasting your money and all these coaches that, you know, don't care. So we prepped for that six weeks and we got his pro card. And, you know, and so just because it's a, it's a big name coach doesn't mean they're going to be good. True. So many people hire these um, big name coaches. And I'm talking about big, big names, maybe like a, uh, Chad Nichols or a George Farah, George Farah, and you know I personally, I personally, me and George, we're close friends. But George, you know, a lot of people, when people's throwing money at you for, for prepping and training, you got to know that, that spot in your job to say, hey, I cannot take on any more. Yeah, I heard things that are absolutely ridiculous uh, things you know Tyrus that used to work out at destination that that uh, he hires some some big name and the guy didn't even know his name uh, they, they met well so, well so Tyrus so I was the last person that coached him because so he worked with uh, George Farah he worked with I believe Dennis James and he worked with another big name and so his friend Steve was like you remember you know Steve right mm -hmm. Steve's like hey Armand I really want you to help Tyrus um, this is the last time I'm helping him <laughs> like he better do good and so Tyrus was very hard to coach because he, he had his way he wanted to train and that wasn't the most productive way for bodybuilding right So we did his nutrition and all that. We went to, uh, I believe, nationals or junior nationals. So he places third, and that's the best he's ever done. But he didn't go back to the night show and because at that time, he knew he didn't get first place. I said, Tyrus, make sure you go back to the night show. If you don't do that, that's disrespectful to the judges, and they will punish you in the future. He goes, yeah, yeah, and he didn't, he didn't go to the night show. Horrible mistake you can make. So he still got placed at third. After that, Steve was like, that's it. <laughs> But before that, these coaches, you know, were not doing Tyrus right. Yep. But, you know, like I remember Tyrus one day, he was like, hey, what is this? This coach sent me this to take. I'm like, I'm like this is an oxycodone. Who, what coach sent you this to take? He's. I'm not going to say the name, but it's a big name. So and so. I'm like, no, this isn't. This isn't gear, bro. This is painkillers. <laughs> like, don't don't take that. <laughs> no, it's, he didn't even know what it was. Yeah, it's, so, it's crazy. Um, and and that's why it, it's good. It's good when you have a good relationship. And I think also is important when you stick with your with the coach. Some people they do one show with a coach, they have a good result. But they think that to go to the next level, they have to change coach. 
uh, that's not true either. I mean, sometimes it's a it's a multi-year plan. It takes multiple years to craft and and shape your body. So stick with your coach if it is working. Right? It's okay to change, but if it is working, why change? Yeah, I mean, like uh, who coached Greg? Coached you, right? Yeah. Greg coached you. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Greg. Me and Greg grew up in Arlington together. He's a few years younger than me. I remember Quincy Taylor was prepping Greg for a show. Greg competed. He got like, I think like seventh or something like that. And I said, Greg, hey, let me help you out, bro. I'll get you in a lot better condition. Quincy did not have you in condition for that show. And I knew Greg wasn't cheating because he's strict with his stuff. So I prepped him. We only had like, I think five weeks to the next show. It was a Cali show. And then we got third and came in a lot better condition. And, um, you know, so there's not like a lot of these big name coaches like George and Chad, they'll Milos. They will take the money, but then no, we're human. We can't remember 200 clients. Exactly. I can't have 200 clients. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even have a hundred clients to, to prep for a competition to have a hundred clients. That's, that would be impossible for me. I Max is about 50 people I could probably do. And at that, I'm on my phone all day. And just, and just out of curiosity, with that 50 people, you truly know the name and, and, and the status of each one of those. So those 50 people, I let them know from the beginning. I'm like, here, listen, listen to this. If you don't check in every weekend with me by sending update pictures and how many weeks out, I'm going to forget who you are because... <laughs> I have 50 clients I'm supposed to I can't remember 50 names off the top of my head <laughs> yeah I said if if you do not text me your check-in pictures and everything because once they send me their pictures and check-in I look at them I do everything by text because it's a lot more personable than my email so I go back I look at their previous pictures their previous plan make changes as needed shoot them out their new program boom just like that but I'm saying, if you're texting me every three weeks, first of all, you're probably not following the program because if I'm paying a coach, I'm going to be uh, texting them every week. I want my update. I want you know to make sure I'm on point. And so, no, I can't remember 50 people's names. If they're not checking in with me every single week, I will forget their name. And I get on to them. Like, I'll have a client that texts me. I'm like, dude, I'll look back. And I'm like, it's been a month since you've checked in why has it been a month and i and I, then i'll remember who they are but i'm like why has it been a month since you've checked in yeah they're like oh i had some personal problems i was like well just text me like yeah you know, say something don't disappear <laughs> but too many people get into it and they don't know what they're getting into you know to compete and that's fine that's why when i do a consult with someone i tell them their expectations and i said however hard you think this is going to be times that by 10 because this is you've done it it's it's really really it hard to do yeah. and you've got to be a really strong person to do it and so it that my advice is just like sometimes you it's just you're going to get ripped off sometimes there's so many coaches out there that they're your best friend until and, and as soon as they got your money and then you don't hear from them yeah so at least pick someone with a good track record and like all my clients, I text back always same day. 
you hear from me. So just make, and, but then I can't coach everybody or it, there's coaches out there, probably amazing coaches, but they haven't built their name up. So it's just like pick somebody you're comfortable with because the problem with bodybuilding is you have to trust that person on what to do nutrition wise, uh, what to take, you know, for bodybuilding. Let's be honest. People are taking stuff for bodybuilding. Even if they're not, it's still at the end with water manipulation and all that. It can be very dangerous if you're dealing with someone that is, you know, mm-hmm. doing dangerous practices. But you have to trust that person. So don't hire somebody that you second guess and don't trust. Yeah, no. That's the only advice I can really give because there's too many coaches out there. That's a great advice. Abon, thank you very much. And uh, everyone, if you want to learn more about Armon uh, supplements and coaching services, go to armonadibi.com, armonadibi.com. Armon, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. Good talking to you. Good talk to you. All right, everyone, that's a wrap for today's episode. Uh, thank you very much. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, stay tuned for more.